Grace McCarthy, hello and welcome. Happy Tuesday. I'm back, baby. (laughs) (laughs) You put up the newsable bat signal and it took me a week and a day, but hey, I'm here. And I'm happy to be here. The gals are taking over. So good to hang out. Also, before we move on, quick update for those of you playing along at home. Taylor Swift once again went to watch Travis Kelsey play for the Kansas City Chiefs, this time in New York. But it was kind of like the best game of I Spy ever because Blake Lively was there, Ryan Reynolds was also there, Hugh Jackman was also there, and Sophie Turner was also there. Sophie Turner? Yeah, yeah. I Spy Celebrity Edition. All I'm going to say is that I hope the actual football fans are able to still get tickets from here out because all I'm saying is if I was in the States, I would be buying as many Kansas City Chief tickets as possible. The news that matters here on Newsable. (laughs) Go on, kick things off. All righty, kia ora. This is Newsable. I'm Jess. And I'm Imogen, and this is what's worth talking about. We can reveal some new details about Lauren Dickerson in the lead up to her sentencing. Labour's promising to help new supermarkets set up shop if re-elected, but would it really mean cheaper prices? Bed bugs are running rampant in Paris, and there are fears the itchy problem could spread far and wide. Plus the chippies that came out on top as picked by you. We've got all that coming up in a moment here on Newsable. Newsable takes time and resources to produce. Please support our mahi and visit stuff.co.nz support. We have an update on the case involving Lauren Dickerson. Now, we won't be going into the details of the trial from earlier this year, but if you have found this topic triggering at all, do feel free to skip ahead. Since August, when a jury found Lauren Dickerson guilty of murdering her three daughters, there's been a growing movement online calling for her to be sentenced leniently. Today it's been revealed Dickerson is in communication with those supporters via a handwritten letter. So to tell us more is the press's Jake Kenny, who sat through every day of that Dickerson trial and has been following the fallout ever since. Kia ora, Jake. Thank you so much for joining us. I think. Now, can you start by giving us a bit of a background to this support for Lauren Dickerson and who's behind it and what they're actually wanting? Sure. So there's been a, a closed Facebook group that's been around for a little while, about a year probably before the trial even began, um, of mostly women who call themselves support for Lauren Dickerson. And the, the group has been growing, particularly since after the trial. And it's, it's basically just a group of women from, from various countries actually around the world, mostly South Africa and New Zealand, but other countries who just want to share their support and what they say for Dickerson and share their own experiences with motherhood, um, postpartum depression and, and other relevant factors that played a part in this trial. And the latest development today is that Dickerson is communicating with them. What can you tell us about that? That's right. So on the two-year anniversary of the children's deaths on September 16th, uh, so last month, the group sent Dickerson a care package to Hillmorton Hospital um, with some South African food and some comfort items. And Dickerson actually responded to this by sending them a handwritten letter thanking them for their for their love and support, is what she said, and, and what she called a, a difficult time. She also sent them a painting uh, of a sunflower, which has become a bit of a symbol for the group uh, to show their support. It's sort of just sort of a, a positivity symbol is what they're calling it. And a photograph of uh, three teddy bears um, with the children's names on them, which she told the group that she has been sleeping with at night. So that's just some of the examples of the way she's been communicating with them. And, and these supporters themselves, Jack, we've heard a bit about them in articles past. They're planning to demonstrate, I think, in, in the next few weeks or so ahead of Dickinson's sentencing in December? 
Yes. So the, the details are a little bit ambiguous um, at this stage, but the support group are planning to hold what they're calling a peaceful march ahead of Dickinson's sentencing. Their plan is to bring some people together to, again, discuss their own struggles with postpartum depression, invite people to, to share their own ex- experiences and be there for each other is what they say. I think they're planning to host a picnic. Would our courts ever take any of this kind of support on board during a sentencing as big as this one? Look, the short answer is no. Uh, The judge is unlikely to take public support into account. He's bound, of course, by the jury's verdicts uh, and the law that we have uh, in this country and previous cases that have been before the courts. It's obviously an extraordinary case, but there are precedents that, that judges must follow, particularly when they're imposing sentences. But many of the things that the group have been raising in terms of taking Dickinson's depression into account or any other mitigating factors that may be present those are things that the judge will consider anyway, regardless of the public support or anything the group is asking the judge to consider. Well, kia ora, Jake. Thank you so much for giving us an update on that. No problem at all. Thank you. And remember, you can find us on TikTok or Insta. Just search Newsable NZ. And hey, if you also want to send us an email, we would love to hear from you. Frick it to newsable at stuff.co.nz. I've lost track of the number of times the sentence I'm about to say has been said or it's come out of my mouth because it's no secret how I feel about this next topic. Food is just getting more and more expensive. And the supermarket used to be my favourite shop. I can spend hours in there. But I've almost started to dread going because despite the changes, the low price promises from the supermarkets themselves, a supermarket commissioner being introduced, nothing seems to make a difference. So Labour has come up with yet another idea to increase competition and if re-elected, Labour's promising to support new supermarkets setting up shop. But would this actually result in new shops and would this mean cheaper prices? Well, someone with an interest in all of this is Professor Alan Rennick from Lincoln University who's written extensively on New Zealand's supermarket competition or lack thereof. Kia ora, Alan. Kia ora. Alan, would a policy like what Labour is suggesting work? Could it guarantee cheaper prices? Well, I, I think, first of all, we can say it not, won't necessarily guarantee uh, cheaper prices. And that's because I guess we can't guarantee it's going to work. You know, when the Competition Commission looked at the supermarkets, they did highlight this lack of competition has been a key issue. And one of the key things is about only having the two supermarkets taking, you know, 80 or 90 percent of the grocery trade. The challenge is, you know, what can the government do that a commercial company wouldn't think about when making a decision to come. So they haven't arrived yet, even though we seem to be making these excess profits in New Zealand. So why haven't they come? And really, would some of these ideas about financial support, making land more available, would it really attract another supermarket in? Because really, That's an incentive, but really it has to make economic sense for them in the long run to come. The government can't create the market in the long run. It can, you know, it can help them maybe even with tax incentives or something, though they haven't mentioned that. But really, it's got to be a commercial decision about whether New Zealand is a viable market for them. And this idea of financially supporting new supermarkets to set up shop, couldn't that get tied up with claims of unfair treatment? Well, yes. I mean, you can imagine immediately about... 
who who do you support and mm. and making a decision in a sense what they're trying to do is back a winner a company that they think that could make a viable alternative to our duopoly but who is that you know mm. could we say well we've seen Audi come in in countries like Ireland and Australia and make a difference. But I know we have homegrown or other companies from New Zealand who would like the opportunity to have some incentive to set up here. How did the Aussies manage to get other players into their supermarket uh, sphere? Aldi, you mentioned, is is over there. Is it because they've got more people or, or it's slightly closer to the rest of the world than we are? Well, I think it's a bit of both of that. Um, when Aldi moved into Australia, I think the time was right for them. There had been a couple of lower sort of quality or cheaper supermarkets, Franklin's and Bilo, and I think they'd been struggling. And so there was a gap in the market for a sort of supermarket like Audi, a sort of discount supermarket to move in. With our smaller population of only 5 million and being like geographically distributed like we are, is that have we really got that core market to attract them here? How long did it take Aldi to make that mark on the Aussie market? Well, they've been there about 20 years now, so it's taken a while. And I think really I was uh, seeing somewhere that it was about 10 years before it really <laughs> began to have an impact on the kind of duopoly situation that they had in Australia. So it wasn't a quick process. You know, they have grown steadily over this period. And really, it's only now that they're beginning to challenge them. So it's not an overnight fix for any perceived challenges that we might have in our supermarket. And one thing we sort of talk about is this idea that we have economies of scale. We have a small country Will three companies be able to achieve the same economies of scale as two? Because if they can't, then you could actually have a situation where costs rise and prices (laughs) rise to consumers, which would be the opposite of what you're trying to do. Imagine if that's what ended up happening. No. Professor Alan Rennick, thank you so much for your time. Thank you very much. I am really sorry, but we are still going to talk about bedbugs. And I'm saying sorry because you'll probably spend the rest of your day itching. But if you can forgive us for that, we would love it if you chucked us a like and a follow on your favourite podcast platform. And we do promise to keep the bedbug chat to a minimum from here on out, unless they keep taking over the world. Paris is itching. And no doubt you're about to get itchy as well because I've mentioned it. The City of Love is in the throes of a massive bedbug crisis. And get this, the French government is pledging action because the situation has actually gotten that bad. And according to Paris's deputy bear, no one is safe. They're on public transport. They're in homes. They are everywhere. And with the Rugby World Cup going on, could this bedbug outbreak be on the verge of going global and more importantly, arriving here and returning suitcases? Here to answer our itching questions is Morgan Marianne, the host of Bug Hunter on TVNZ On Demand. Kia ora, thank you so much for joining us. Kia ora, thank you for having me. Morgan, how did this get so out of control? It's a good question. It's it's a combination of factors like it usually is. So it's a combination of Paris is a very, very densely populated area. It's been seeing a lot of global traveling at the moment. And bed bugs have also been noticed to have become a bit resistant to insecticides. 
So all of this is contributing. Obviously, um, there's a lot of people in Paris right now. We've got the Rugby World Cup. We had Paris Fashion Week last week. Oh, gosh. Um, and we are, we are coming at the tail end of summer, which is actually, you know, they, they would have been reproducing all summer and now they're kind of looking for the nooks and crannies. You mentioned the insecticides. What makes them so hard to get rid of? They're really hard to get rid of because you need to get rid of every single adult that you can find. And these little guys are really good at getting into nooks and crannies. They don't really like the sunlight. Um, So they feed on blood. They can feed on human blood. They can feed on other types of warm-blooded animals. So they can actually feed on your pets if they need to. But not only that, but they can actually go for like about 300 days without blood. So... They can fast for a very long time. What kind of public health risks do they pose? Apart from the annoying itchiness, so they they do bite Mm. us and we get rashes and skin itches, but they're not known to transmit any infectious diseases. So on that front, we're okay. That is reassuring. What's the likelihood, though, that some might find their way into New Zealand, given France is hosting the Rugby World Cup, and there's just the odd footy fan that might have one of these buried in their suitcase, especially when they can last 300 days without any blood? (laughs) Yeah, oh, absolutely. But it's very likely that some people will be bringing them back. But the the thing is, we already have them here in New Zealand. They, these bed bugs are found all over the world. Anywhere that is densely populated, you will find them. And usually infestations are not actually linked to hygiene or anything like that. It's just where the humans are, you will find the bed bugs. Can Paris come out of this? Like, or is this just Paris now? Uh, they, they should be able to come out uh, of it. Luckily, winter's just around the corner and bed bugs don't do very well in the cold. So that would be the right moment to kind of have a thorough look in people's homes and on furnitures and anything and just have a very good deep clean with steamers and vacuums and just try and get it all. <laughs> Thank you so much, Dr. Morgan Marion, the host of Bug Hunter on TVNZ On Demand for joining us. Appreciate it. Thank you. <laughs> I think you're conflating a whole bunch of issues. You don't want to be held to account well, no, on I, I, rising child no, abuse numbers. You can manipulate crime statistics. I, I promised I wouldn't have a tattoo about gotcha journalism. Hang into the National Party's no, attack line there. That, that, I think Chris, that it would be a resignation offence if I didn't deliver tax reduction. Yeah, 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 I'm not worried about it at all. Nothing in there, that sits with you perfectly fine. That's what, we're, that's what we're focused on. Whatever happens in politics, the weird, the wonderful, the important, the thought-provoking, we got you. Listen to Tova wherever you get your podcasts. It is chip-chat time. It is chip-chat time. Chip-chat. Say that five times fast. Uh, yesterday we asked you if you're a salt and vinegar fan because Consumer NZ rated the best salt and vinegar chippies in New Zealand and as someone who hates them, I wanted to not only gauge the news Bulfano feelings on the flavour but also find out what other flavours we're all fans of. Um, as I said, I'm a ready salted gal. What about you? I am a hard salt and vinegar chip fan. Yeah, you were shaking your head at me just then. Because I heard you yesterday talking about how much you hated them and I felt, you know, quite a sense of shock about firstly your passion and the fact that, I mean, really salted, Emo, we can do better than that. Are you at least having dip with them? This is what I was going to say, is that a really salted is the perfect vehicle for any dip. That's fair. You cannot do a salt and vitty and a dip. That's just too much flavour in one go. Just find them too punchy. I completely agreed with the consumer findings, actually. Snacker Jenny and Kettles, I believe it was, Mm -hmm. they are my top two favourite um, salt and vinegar chips. What does the rest of the public think about it? The rest of the public in this newsable poll, uh, 77% said they like a salt and vinegar chip. My people. 
my people. That's fine. You all do you. That's wonderful. We did get some alternative favourites, though. Uh, Ready Salted, I am pleased to announce, came out on top. So I'm going to take that as a win. Uh, But in second place was sour cream and chives. And I constantly overlook the sour cream and chives, but I, I, I remembered... Thanks to you all that I am quite partial to a sour cream and chives Pringle. Oh, of course, the Pringle. Mm. That changes the game. Mm. The shape of the chip. Hey, and I think chicken and barbecue were also in there. I mean, they are complimentary flavours. I'll eat them at a barbecue, but probably Mm. just won't finish a bag like I can do for salt and vinegar. Yeah, look, also, let's be honest, if there's only salt and vinegar on the table, I'm going to eat the salt and vinegar chip. I'll I'll take it. I won't love it, but I'll take it. Yeah, your principal Uh, wants to to a point. I get it. (laughs) I will make ends meet where I have to. Uh, But anyway, that is news of all for today. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Imogen Wells. I'm Jessica McCarthy, and we'll catch you tomorrow. This pod took time and resources to produce. Please support our mahi and visit stuff.co.nz slash support. If you don't have time to read the in-depth stories or you just prefer to listen instead, The Long Read From Stuff is the podcast for you. Each week we showcase one of our excellent pieces of journalism, telling important or entertaining stories from the world of crime, sport, history, culture and more. You also get to hear from the journalists themselves about how they uncovered the story and how it came to life. So for your weekly dose of long-form journalism, beautifully read, subscribe to The Long Read From Stuff wherever you get your podcasts.